Hey, good morning, everybody. Stand with us this morning as we open in worship. If you've got something that's standing in your way of being your best for God this morning, listen to the words of this song. This is how we overcome. Sing along with us. Your life broke through my night, restored and seeing joy. Your grace fell like the rain and made this desert sing. You have turned my morning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. You have turned my morning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right, sing along with us. This is our last time. This is how we've overcome. Raise your voice and sing it to him. Just a proclamation of victory this morning. This is how we overcome. This is how we overcome. This is how we overcome. This is how we overcome this is how we overcome this is 
good morning, everybody. Hey, do me a quick favor. Just say hello to somebody right around and say, hey, welcome to Sunset Hills. Hi. <laughs> We are so glad that you have chose to be with us this morning at Sunset Hills. If you are new with us, we thank you for being here. If you've been here just a few times, super excited for you to be here and just uh, welcome to our community. Welcome to the Buttercup Festival. Some of you may not know that. It is the Buttercup Festival here in beautiful Nolensville. So if you're going to head out, just be careful as you get that way on 31 because it's going to be a little mucked up. Hey, that song is amazing because it's so true to biblical narrative that Jesus that we celebrated from the Resurrection Sunday yesterday has given us the power to overcome sin by his death, burial, and his resurrection. And so we're thankful as a church, we're thankful as a people that that's the message that we get to declare proudly and uh, just humbly uh, because of Christ. And so my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Just excited to be here. Uh, this is officially, as a staffer on staff here, this is officially my first Sunday being able to kind of join you in this way. So thank you for letting me be here. My family is excited. So we have a, a really cool thing. Uh, Pastor Steve is out today. Just be praying for him and his son as they get back safely. I think later tonight they've had a, just an enjoyable weekend together. And so we're so grateful that, that God gives us margin to be able to do that with our family and friends and be able to rest and be able to get the things that we should get done and it's important to us. And so pray for him to get back safely and energized so he can continue to just cultivate great ministry here. Today, though, we do have uh, Michael Kelly, a friend of ours. He's the executive director of the Nashville Baptist Association as our preacher and our teacher today. Excited, got a chance to meet him out in the lobby. He has... Three beautiful kids. One of them is graduating this year. We got to share that stuff about graduating kids and things like that. And uh, he is an elder pastor at Grace Community Church right here in Brentwood. And he's also working on his PhD, feverishly taking up a lot of his extra time trying to just finish up a PhD in leadership. So excited about him coming to just preach and teach for us and bring God's word as a means of our, our worship. So other things to just realize, uh, when you come in here, it's just an open opportunity for you to worship. And so here's the deal. This is not just a, 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 a I don't know, how shall I say it, Kelly, just a spectator sport. It's a participation. Uh, they don't come up here just to be able to perform for you. They help lead us into worship to be able to magnify a king of kings and the Lord of lords to be able to just say he's worthy of all of our worship and so I hope over these next few songs that God will just move upon you through the truth of the lyrics that you'll see the the melodies that you'll hear and and really if you are struggling if you're hurting or even if you're just all sold out for Jesus that this would be times and moments in in your morning here with us as just true evidence of a God who sits on a throne who sovereignly and providentially wants to have a relationship with you. With you. And that should just give us great pause, shouldn't it? Like, that God who creates the heavens and the earth wants to have a relationship with you. So just as we continue to do that, let me just pray us into this next set of worship, and then let's just continue to sing and worship, and let's lift the roof off this place. How about that? Jesus, we thank you so very much for your love and your care. 
Lord, you are the one to whom we worship and adore. You are worthy of that. You've always been worthy. And Lord, we as a people of unclean lips, a people that oftentimes have different motivations, Lord, would you write our hearts as a collective here. At Sunset Hills, may you pull together this church to be able to offer praise and worship and, and adoration that is so richly deserved of your character and your nature. And Lord, we thank you for not just the worship and song, but the worship through your word, the worship into the koinonia, the fellowship that we can have with one another. And then ultimately, as Christ followers that are here gathered, Lord, that we would be sent people into our culture, worshiping a God who saves and using a people like us to be able to bring a timeless message of hope, of salvation into our place here in Middle Tennessee and beyond. So we love you, we thank you, and we continue to give you praise. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to continue singing an old hymn. It's still relevant today. It's a proclamation of victory, like I said earlier. Victory in Jesus. Sing along this morning. Well, I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory And how He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me Sweet day I 
this next song is our mission statement for this next week. Um, I pray that we are so pumped 
for Jesus that we want to go out and tell everyone about him. So sing along. This is my Jesus. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes the way.
pray with me this morning. Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, to serve a Savior. God, not only that can change our lives, but God desires like nothing more to change who we are. God, and we're just so thankful that, God, you love us where we are, that, God, you love us too much to keep us there. So, God, today as we lean into your word, God, I just pray that you would anoint this time. Speak to our hearts, God. And God, I believe already and I, I trust by faith that you're going to. And when you do, God, I just pray that, that we would be obedient to do what you've called us to do today. God, if there's one here that has never said yes to you, yes, Jesus, I want you to change my life. God, I just pray today could be their day of victory. We love you in everything that we do. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, thank you for the kind introduction and the chance to be able to be here and open up God's word with you this morning. If you have your Bible and want to turn to the passage for the day, you can begin turning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And as you're doing that, just by way of introduction, I wonder if we could talk for a few minutes about our words and the way that we use our words. That's really what we're, we're doing here this morning is it's an, an interchange of words, whether it's spoken word or word by song that I'm speaking and you're listening or you are speaking and I'm listening and in any of those exchanges, it's really, really important that we are clear with our words because bad things happen when we're not clear with our words. And sometimes those bad things are not our fault. It's often difficult for us to put into words exactly what it is that we mean to say in the way to say it with the right tone of how we intend for it to be communicated. I remember several years ago, my wife and I were leading a, uh, a small mission team of college students to Eastern Africa, and at that time we lived in a small town in Texas called Canyon, Texas, and you can imagine it's, it's quite a flight pattern to get from Amarillo, Texas to Asmara, Eritrea. So you travel through different places and you, you stay for a day here and a day there or a layover here and a layover there, and I remember when we rolled into that airport in the foreign country that all of us by that time were just exhausted. We weren't feeling really well, You've got some layover status in your mind. You, you know, your, your stomach is doing flip-flops because of weird food that you've had on the plane. And, and so I remember getting off the airport, and at that time, Eritrea was in the midst of a civil war. There's an ongoing civil war between Ethiopia and Eritrea, and because conflict had flared up again, there were a lot of armed military personnel uh, at the customs uh, entry where we were going to go into the country. And so one by one, they marched us through and it was a slow process because with each one of our team they took the baggage and opened up the baggage and sorted through it and all the while people standing by in military fatigues with AK-47 assault rifles standing there and so all of our students that were with us eventually got through and I was the last one to go and for some reason 
the gentleman who was doing the inspection really got hung up on an inflatable neck pillow that I had in my backpack. And so I'm trying to communicate with him what this is, and he's trying to communicate with me in what he thinks it is, and I don't really know the language, and he has sort of a sense of broken English, and as Americans tend to do when somebody doesn't understand them, I just started saying what I was saying the same way except louder, as if that's going to help. So I'm getting more and more frustrated, stomach hurts, head hurts, haven't slept in about two days. And so finally, in exasperation, what I said to him in trying to communicate what the inflatable neck pillow was, I said, look, man, you blow it up. (laughs) Hey, he understood that. So eventually, when I was allowed to get up off the ground, I was able to more properly demonstrate what I I meant by that phrase. It was a moment when I knew what I was trying to say, and in a way, what I said was correct, but I certainly didn't mean it the way that he took it. I was not able to say what I meant and mean what I said. And maybe there's been a time that that happened for you this week, too just in casual conversation, when you weren't able to adequately, clearly, succinctly express with the right tone and attitude exactly what it is that you meant to say and for it to be understood in the way that you intended for it. We, in general, have a lot of trouble with that, saying what we mean and meaning what we say. But Jesus Christ has never had that issue. There has never been a single moment when Jesus didn't say exactly what he meant and mean exactly what he said. Now, that's not to say that everyone always understood or understands exactly what Jesus says. Because as you read through the Gospels, you see that there are a variety of different reactions to what Jesus says. Sometimes the reaction is claiming to believe it, even if it's misunderstood. Other times, the reaction is outright confusion about why Jesus would be saying the particular thing that he is saying. But all of that is dysfunction on the part of the listener. It's not a fallacy or a shortcoming on the part of the communicator. Regardless of how things were or are understood, Jesus always says exactly what he means and means exactly what he says. Now, there are some times in Scripture when Jesus does not speak in parables, and he does not speak in what seem to be riddles, and he does not speak in what is interpreted as enigmatic terms like the place that we want to look at together today. In Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, we see a moment when Jesus begins to teach and to teach very, very clearly. Here's the setup for the teaching, beginning in verse 27. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them again, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, and he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. So Jesus begins by asking the disciples a question, and it is a question of popular opinion. Who does everybody say that I am? Because at this point, of course, Jesus, because of his teaching and because of his miracles, had developed quite a reputation, and it seemed like everybody had an opinion about Jesus. Who do the people say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples, and they come back to him and say, well, Jesus, opinions vary. And if Jesus were to ask us the same question this morning, who do the people say that I am? We would probably have a similar answer. Jesus, opinions vary across the world. Some people say that you're a great teacher. Some people say that you're a miracle worker. Some people say that you are a misunderstood political revolutionary. Some people say that you are the son of God. But then Jesus, as is his way, takes this question of popular opinion and makes it into a question of personal conviction. So that's who the people say that I am. But you, you, yourself, you, yourself, who do you say that I am? And this is more than a question, friends. This is not just a question. This is the question. This is the question behind all the other questions. It's the question that if you answer this question is really going to set you up to answer every other question that will ever be asked. This is the question upon which all of eternity hangs. The question in which all of creation hangs together. Who do you say that I am? And in this passage, Peter steps to the front of the crowd, which makes sense in a way. First one out of the boat, first one to answer the question. And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And he's right, sort of. Because even though Jesus always says exactly what he means and means exactly what he says, you cannot say the same thing about Peter. Because when Peter says, you are the Messiah, He doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that Jesus means when Jesus says that he is the Messiah. It's interesting if you look back in Mark chapter 8, right before this, you get one of the stranger miracles that Jesus performed. Do you remember this? There's a blind man that comes to Jesus and wants to be healed. Now, we see all other times in the Gospels where Jesus is able to instantaneously heal people, but here he does something different. He spits on the ground and he makes mud out of his spit in the dirt and he rubs it on the eyes of the blind man. And then he asks the man, what do you see? And the blind man says, well, it's better than it was. I look and I see people, kind of, but they look like trees that are walking around. And then Jesus does the process again. He heals him completely, and eventually the man can see clearly. It is a progressive kind of sight that the man is gaining. Well, in a sense, this is exactly what is happening with the disciples right now. 
except the sight that they are gaining is not with their physical eyes, it is with their hearts. So over the course of these three years that they have been spending with Jesus, they have been progressively gaining more and more clarity about who Jesus is and what he has come to do, but they're not quite there yet. For Peter, the vision of Jesus is much like this blind man, that he can kind of, sort of, almost make out the identity of Jesus, but still it's not quite clear because in Peter's mind, when he says, you are the Messiah, he still means that you are a political conqueror that is going to come and free the Jewish people from the oppression of the Romans. And in a military-style conquest, you are going to rise and ascend to the king of Israel. Now, Jesus is a king, but not that kind of king. And Jesus is going to fight a battle, but not that kind of battle. And Jesus is going to put all his enemies under his feet, but not the enemies that Peter is meaning. So he is the Messiah, but he's not that kind of Messiah. Peter's still seeing people that look like trees. And then we come to verse 31, which again is one of those places in Scripture where Jesus is absolutely pristine in the clarity that he gives about who he is and what he has come to do. It's as if Peter says, you are the Messiah, and Jesus thinks to himself, that's right, and now I will tell you what kind of Messiah I am. Verse 31 says, then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He was openly talking about this. No mystery, no riddle, no story or parable or metaphor. Jesus says very clearly, this is what is going to happen, and it is all too much for Peter. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Peter could not take the clarity. It was too controversial. It was too contrary. It was too different than the way that Peter saw this whole thing ending up. In fact, it was absolutely opposed to the way that Peter saw this whole thing ending up. And as Jesus was teaching about the fact that he would suffer, as he was explaining his rejection, as he was describing his death and telling them that he was going to rise from again, it's almost as if Peter is getting more and more uncomfortable until he decides that the time has come to protect Jesus from himself. It's as if Jesus is talking and Peter puts his arm around him and says, okay, let's just take five here. It's been a long day. Everybody would go this way. Jesus, could I have a word in private? you are embarrassing yourself. 
I don't think you know exactly what it is that you're saying. But of course, Jesus says what he means, and he means what he says. And he tells Peter that he knows exactly what it is that he is saying, and in fact, that Peter's attitude is a detraction, a hindrance to the mission of Jesus, the thing that he came to do. Now, we, as with a lot of times with Peter, it's easy for us to kind of shake our head and say, oh, Peter, 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 Peter. So overconfident, so sure of yourself, so audacious, so lacking in discernment. Peter, boy, there's gonna come a day, my man. There is gonna come a day. And yet, aren't there times when we also pull Jesus aside? Times when the words of Jesus become so uncomfortable for us that we pull Jesus aside to protect ourselves or at least to protect him because Jesus can't surely actually mean the thing that he's saying. So we pull him aside and think, Surely he didn't actually say what he meant and meant what he said, or surely this doesn't apply to me in the way that it seems to apply to me. Now, to help us embrace that tendency in ourselves to pull Jesus aside rather than trusting that Jesus actually says what he means and means what he says, let me give you three reasons that we today in reading the word of God, three reasons why we also might pull Jesus aside. Reason number one is that we might pull Jesus aside because of his extremity. We might pull him aside because of his extremity. If we keep reading in Mark chapter eight, here's what happens next. Jesus in verse 34 summons the crowd along with his disciples and then he said to them if anyone wants to be my follower he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his life what can a man give in exchange for his life for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now that is an extreme teaching from Jesus. Perhaps for us, the extremity of Jesus' words don't land on us in the same way that they would have landed on the first century Palestinian who heard them for the very first time. And the reason why it doesn't land on us as hard is because the image of the cross has become so common in our society. We see crosses everywhere. We see them in buildings. We have art with them. We have jewelry made out of them. It is a symbol that has become a symbol of victory and triumph in our lives, but it was not so during this time. The cross was not something that you talked about in polite company. Because when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me, he is employing the symbol of death. 
If you saw someone walking through a community carrying a cross in this day and time, you did not wonder what they were going to be doing later that day. There's only one thing that they would be doing later that day. They would be dying. And not only dying, but dying in the most excruciating, humiliating, painful, disgraceful form of public execution that human beings have ever devised. This is what it means to follow me, Jesus says. It means a complete and utter submission You can almost, in light of that, hear when Jesus says, take up your cross, you can almost hear the collective gasp from the crowd. Make no mistake, friends. The only way to follow Jesus is to follow him with empty hands. You cannot hold on to your dreams. You cannot hold on to your assets. You cannot hold on to your hopes. You cannot hold on to your self-lordship. You cannot hold on to anything else and also pick up the cross and follow Jesus. So sometimes we read the words of Jesus and they are so extreme we just want to pull him aside and say okay let's just take a breath here that's one reason that we might pull Jesus aside here's a second reason we might pull Jesus aside because of his intrusion Jesus doesn't really do personal space have you noticed that Case in point, there's an account in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, you might remember this, where Jesus has taken his disciples to a place where none of them were comfortable to do a thing that none of them were comfortable with. So these good Jewish gentlemen find themselves in the middle of Samaria, sitting at a well when a Samaritan woman comes walking up, and Jesus engages her in conversation, something that any self-respecting Jewish man would not have done. And they start talking about water which is an innocuous kind of subject, but Jesus is speaking at another level than the woman realizes. He tells her, in essence, aren't you tired of coming to get water every single day? You know, I have some water that never runs dry. She, still thinking about physical water, thinks to herself, well, that would be very nice. I do, in fact, get tired of coming to get water every day. Why don't you tell me about this water that you have? And Jesus immediately takes her to another level and asks her a penetrating question. Where is your husband? And with those four words, Jesus pokes the most open wound in her life. The source of her shame, the source of her alienation, the place where she has tried to fill all of her emotional needs. He invades her personal space. And if we follow Jesus, we will find him constantly doing this to us as well. It reminds me a little bit of this. In 1803, U.S. Army Captain Meriwether Lewis and William Clark 
were sent on a mission. It was going to be a two-year mission, and they were going to travel up the Mississippi River, across the Continental Divide, all the way to the West Coast. And in the words of Thomas Jefferson, the goal of this mission was to find the most direct and practicable water communication across this continent for the purposes of commerce. This, of course, is the famous expedition of Lewis and Clark. Jefferson asked for the expedition to explore the rest of the United States. But here's the thing. Lewis and Clark were not going there to claim that land. That land had already been purchased as part of the Louisiana Purchase. It was officially part of the United States. So it had been purchased, but it had yet to be fully explored and evaluated. In other words, what Lewis and Clark were doing was laying claim to what had already been claimed. They were discovering what had already been acquired. Such is the case with the gospel. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are born again. You are changed at the deepest level possible. New heart, new tastes, new destination. You are changed deeply at the soul level, and yet it will be the rest of your life where you together with the Holy Spirit are exploring all the nooks and crannies of your heart, your heart that has been claimed by Jesus and yet has not yet been fully explored. If you ever talk to someone who has walked with Jesus for a long time, maybe decades and decades and decades, has walked with Jesus. And you say something like, man, you must be so close to the Lord right now. You've walked with him for 50, 60 years. If that person is truly walking with Jesus, then almost inevitably what response you'll get if you say something like that is, oh, oh no, no. I still have so far yet to go. Christianity is not a process whereby you reach a mountaintop and look around and think to yourself, man, I, I really have made it. No, it's as if the closer you get to Jesus, the brighter the light of his radiance shines on all the shadowy parts of your heart and your life. There is always, always, always more to confess. And gloriously, there is always, always, always more grace. Jesus will expose you day after day after day in very uncomfortable ways. And sometimes it's so intrusive that you just want to pull him aside and say, enough, enough with this. So we might pull Jesus aside because of his extremity. We might pull Jesus aside because of his intrusion. Here's a third reason why we might pull Jesus aside, because of his simplicity. Have you ever noticed that some of the most difficult commands of Jesus to follow are also the simplest things that he says? He says things so simply, they're so simple that they're just hard to believe sometimes. 
Let me give you an example. Jesus says very simply, child of God, do not worry about tomorrow. Now surely there's a moment for us to pull Jesus aside. <laughs> oh Jesus, Jesus. So sweet, so naive, so simple. And I'm sure in your day that there were comparatively fewer things to worry about, but Jesus, take a look around. Have you seen what's happening in the culture around us? Have you seen the new legislation that's being passed? Have you seen the state of the public schools? Have you seen the violence that is surrounding us? Have you seen everything that we are facing? Do not worry, don't worry. That's cute, Jesus. Or how about this one? Jesus says, I love you. Period. Not I love you, but, and not I love you if. It is such a strange, otherworldly kind of concept that the Son of God would look at us and say, I love you in the midst of all of your sin and all of your dysfunction and all of your fear because there is no other relationship that we have ever been in that is similar to that. So much so that the simplicity of Jesus makes us want to pull him aside and say, that can't possibly actually be true. Do you see the core in all of these questions? The questions of Jesus' extremity, the questions of Jesus' intrusion, the questions of his simplicity. The core at all of those questions is really the same core at the center of Peter's hesitations. And the question is whether really Jesus says what he means and means what he says, even though what he says is extreme or intrusive or simple. Does Jesus really mean what he says? And the answer is yes. And the reason why we know the answer is yes is because there is nothing more extreme. There is nothing more outlandish. There is nothing more absurdly ridiculous than to say, I am going to get up from the grave after three days. That's what he said, and that's what he meant. And if he said that, and he meant that, as outlandishly foolish as it looks to the world, then how can we conclude anything else than the fact that he means everything else? Friends, you can take Jesus at his word this morning. And the reason why is because he's the one who said he would die, and he did. And he's the one who said he would rise, and he did. Because of that, all of Jesus' words have authority. 
Believe in the one who got up from the grave this morning. Believe it when he issues an extreme call to you. Believe it when he seems to be intruding into your private matters. And believe it when you are confronted with the simple, beautiful statements of Jesus. Believe it because he says what he means and he means what he says. Friends, we're going to have a time of invitation this morning and I wonder if we could frame this time of invitation just as this. Is today a day when you will take Jesus at his word? Will you take him at his word? And perhaps what that means for you if you are not a follower of Christ this morning, that you have heard Jesus say through his word today, I love you, and I want you to come to me and repent. We'll take him at his word. He means it. He will receive you. Would you make that decision today? Or maybe it means taking him at his word, that you need to follow him in obedience and join yourself to this faith community. Take him at his word. Maybe you have heard the call of Jesus to cease some practice in your life, to apologize to a friend or a coworker, to repent of some other pattern that is going on. Take Jesus at his word. Do it. Believe it. He means it. And he means that he will receive you in his grace. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing together and Eric will be here in the front to receive you as we sing. If you would like to make a decision public or if you would like someone to pray for you, please come and do that. And let's collectively together, the best we're able by God's grace, take Jesus at his word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that your word is true and it can be trusted. And we pray this morning, we pray this morning that we would believe that you mean what you say and you say what you mean. Help us, Lord, to be known as the kind of people who truly, actually, really believe the words of Jesus. Though they may be extreme, though they may be intrusive, though they may be simple, we pray that you would help us do it. May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee I need the
trust what God says. Have a seat just for a moment. I've got just a couple of uh, quick announcements I want to bring to your attention. Um, a lot going on. First of all, this coming Friday, um, our ladies ministry is sponsoring Bunko. And um, if you haven't played Bunko or have, haven't been a part of that, man, I believe this may be one of their favorite times of the year to get together. They do this four or five times a year. And um, it's just a good time. And uh, our ladies really enjoy it. So if you haven't been a part of it, ladies, this is a really great way that you can connect uh, with our ladies' ministry. Uh, Friday, friends, you are going to be meeting next Friday, not this coming Friday. Next Friday, we will be talking more about that uh, next Friday. All this information, by the way, is in your bulletin, so uh, don't miss that. And then um, go on to that next announcement there. This is something brand new, and uh, Eric brought this to the table and uh, we just think it's a really great opportunity if you've been here maybe for a couple of weeks maybe for a couple of months and you so and you say you know man, I really love Sunset Hills but what does it look like to to go that next step and get connected um, in new ways and exciting ways and uh, be my best uh, not only to be served but to serve the church body and so this is a really great opportunity that we're going to give you for that um, it's April the 30th and it's really available to everyone. There's a limited uh, number of spots that we're gonna sign up for this first round. We're providing lunch for you, we're providing childcare. It's only gonna uh, be an hour or less, but um, you're gonna have a chance to meet some new great people. Um, all the pastors will be um, at this meet and greet as well, and it'll be immediately after service. So uh, just a really great opportunity, again, for you to plug in and, uh, and find out how to get connected. Um, and we've realized that we, we kind of struggle with that next step. And so we, we just wanted to be proactive to let you know what that looks like. One more announcement here. Yes, twist and turn. Save the date for VBS uh, 23. That's June the 4th through the 7th. As you well know, this is the number one evangelistic, evangelistic uh, opportunity that we have for our children's ministry. So we encourage you not only to save the date, but to... Um, um, but plug in, and uh, Courtney is uh, she is busy planning, and she is right now recruiting. So, uh, if this is something you've been a part of in the past, you know how much fun VBS is around here, and uh, we encourage you to uh, step up and step into VBS, and uh, it's going to be a really great time. We're hoping this will just be a a record bumper year for us for VBS. Uh, God's doing some really awesome things. Can you give yourselves a big hand for last week? We, we busted our all-time record here on this property, 350 people. And uh, we just feel like God is uh, really working here and, um, and expanding our territory. And uh, so we're super excited about that and uh, uh, just glad to be a part of this family. And I know you are too. Hey, as we close, will you stand with me as we pray?
Eric, you got something you want to say there? Um, let me get you on mic here so you can, uh, we can catch you on Facebook. No, as uh, the prayer meeting thing that you saw as a slide, it's just a, a joy. And I know that sometimes it's really hard to get to a 1030 prayer time, especially for those who got professional works and moms taking care of stuff. But if you ever want to come to the prayer time at 1030 to 1130, we pray for a lot of the needs inside of this church. But we're going to add a little bit on top of that. And we're going to start doing some prayer walking around neighborhoods right around our church campus. And so if you'd like to join us at 915 and get your steps in, we're going to be going into some of the neighborhoods and just simply talking to the Lord and praying for the households that are in those neighborhoods that this church would be a light to them and an opportunity to have gospel conversations with them. So we would ask that you join that and you just hang out here at 915 and then we'll direct you where to go. I love that. It's like a... like. Uh, prayer meeting and Weight Watchers like Mary. Like, it's good. I like that. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for today, God. Thank you for um, Pastor Michael's message as uh, he just challenged us, God, to believe what you say, that, God, we can lean into your word. It is truth. And, uh, God, that we can be confident in what you have for us in this world. God, as we go out into this community, uh, we go to the Buttercup Festival, wherever we're going to go, Lord, we just pray that we would be a reflection of your light and goodness in all that we do. We love you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Hi, good morning. Everybody. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us, are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.